Love a space to call your own. Live in the better built surroundings of a Glenvey home. Love having a sense of place. Live for shaping it from the get-go. Love green spaces and the joy of outdoors. Live where lower environmental impact is a way of life. In a home built more sustainably for comfort, quality and for people putting down roots just like you. Love where you live. Community inspired and shaped by you and Glen Vey. Home of the new. The Pat Kenny Show on News Talk with Matter Private Network. During current restrictions, don't ignore your health concerns. Our expert team is ready to help. Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Luke, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, let's uh, first of all have your thoughts on modelling and what it should tell us. Yeah, it's just a bit strange, Pat, in my opinion. I mean, if, if I look at the numbers, because in, in science we need numbers, they gave us that range, didn't they? 250 deaths or 2,179 deaths. There's a huge range there, isn't it? You'd like to know which it's going to be, I suppose. It's, it's problematic. There's so many unknowns, Pat, is the issue here, really, that they try to uh, take into account all the unknowns. But if someone in my lab came back with those two answers, I'd say, which is it? You know, in other words, you need to have a, a waiting on these numbers. If you can, I, I do have sympathy for them because there are so many unknowns, really. And it's because the reason for this, Pat, is there's too many what I call variables that you can't control for in science, as we'd say. Mm. And a big one for me, Pat, is this vaccination wasn't taken into account. That's got to be a key variable, how extensive vaccination is. So I'd like to see it rerun. I guess they're doing it now um, to rerun the modelling with this inf- new information on the vaccination programme. That's got to impact on the numbers. It, it should anyway. Let's see if it does. It's important yeah. to find that out. Doing a bit of a back-of-the-envelope calculation, when you look at all the adults who will have been vaccinated in full, and then you look at the people who were infected, and we have those numbers, but then we've got to speculate on the numbers who might have been infected asymptomatically and therefore are enjoying an immunity uh, at the moment and therefore will not get the Delta uh, variant. You know, doing the quick back-of-the-envelope calculation, I figured that one in three of the rest of the population would get COVID. This is it. And it just didn't seem to make sense to me. Well, it's a very complicated report. I mean, did you see there were 36 tweets issued last night Pat, by Philip Nolan? I've never seen science done by tweets before, by the way, so at least not so extensively. So it is complicated and we're not experts on modelling, are we? And they're very complicated mm. equations. But the bottom line for me is there's so many unknowns here and they're trying, doing their best, as I say. There's some things we do know. We know how to mitigate indoors. So good ventilation, you know, crowd control time mitigates against risk of spread indoors. And I'm sure the hospitality sector said we, we can use all those measures and mitigate against the risk of this. And and again, I wonder, was that taken into account in, in, in a way that was fair? Or, the, or did they say, oh, we can't trust the publicans to reopen safely? Was that another factor that was put into the equations? But so, so in other words, there's lots of things we do know. And my overall view, but is we have to learn to live with this virus, haven't we? You know, and we know so much about how to mitigate against it. I just don't see why they weren't a bit more sort of, a, shall we say, uh, prepared to look at the option of opening up indoors, really, is one, one thing that struck me. Now, people are very used to the term algorithm. Um, which is basically an equation with variables and you slot in the variables and you get an answer and that's the way algorithms work. In this case, um, if you take the algorithm that someone may have constructed, you're looking at the rate of vaccination, how many people have been vaccinated. Um, You're looking maybe at the age cohort, the susceptibility to the disease. Um, You're looking at mitigation. You're looking at whether the schools are out or not. You're looking at whether there's indoor dining or not. You're looking at whether there's antigen testing or not. 
it'd be a complicated, Very complicated algorithm, wouldn't it? That's have sympathy for them in a sense. And, and if you've seen some of the equations, in fact, they're well above you, you, you and me understanding the complexities yeah. of these things. But again, the problem I have, not the problem, I mean, the challenge is there's so many unknowns. And, and what struck me as well, Pat, the country's being governed by probabilities now, isn't it? You know, in other words, this might happen, this might not, and let's make a decision based on those probabilities. But I suppose they're trying to use some data as best they can. But, but I do think the notion of the vaccines and all that, that's a very difficult one to implement, isn't it? How can you have a situation where young people are told you can't go into a restaurant unless you're vaccinated and yet there's no vaccine available to you at that particular time you know that seems that sort of thing seems very unfair to me yeah well they hadn't uh, factored in it would appear the fact that uh, so many younger people would be able to get uh, the the vaccine uh, was it uh, 400,000 doses yeah. of AstraZeneca were arriving and they were going to have to be uh, given out to, to somebody um, they still haven't moved on the heterologous vaccination you know the Pfizer uh, which would be the second vax to your AstraZeneca and you've now got science on this yeah. very precise science well we this was somewhat predictable from an immunological point of view. Previous vaccines have shown to work tremendously well if you use one, a different one to the second one. That's the way the immune system works. It's almost as if you, you kind of desensitise slightly to the first shot and if you give the same shot again, then you're slightly less responsive. If you give a different shot, it really kicks things off. And that was known, you see, from other vaccines. And there was hints of this. Now a big study, but great study, you know. If you have AstraZeneca first and Pfizer second, you have a five-fold higher response if you just take two AstraZenecas. Isn't that tremendous? In other words, we now know definitively that given Giving Pfizer after AstraZeneca gives a massive response. And we knew, and now the data is there, they got a T-cell response was very strong as well in them. You know, it's fantastic. So, and especially in the over, going back to the over 60s, we need to protect them quickly against Delta. The best way to protect the over 60s now, Pat, is to give them Pfizer for definite. So they should change this immediately, in my view, and say give Pfizer now to everybody over 60. And we've been saying this for weeks, haven't we? In other words, there's so much data out there to support this. Why wouldn't they do it, is the question. Is it logistical? Is it supply? Let, let people know why they're not getting Pfizer, I would say, at this stage, because the science is so strong. I was reading in the Times of London this morning that they are now talking uh, quite forcibly about the possibility prospect of a third shot in the autumn which would be given at the same time as the flu vaccine. So yeah. uh, they're moving in that direction. But it's it's hard to understand the delay in NIAC. I mean clearly NIAC didn't pass on all their info to Neffet because the modelling got done without that uh, yeah. key information on younger people getting the vaccine. Um, but NIAC are really dragging their feet on, on this business because there are people now really I was going to use an obscenity, really annoyed at, uh, the, at the way younger people have been fully vaccinated while they've had all one shot of AstraZeneca and are waiting for a second and are feeling vulnerable to Delta. I'd say they're furious, Pat. The number of emails I get on this saying, please help us. We want Pfizer second. You know, please try and do something. The, the level of annoyance around this issue is huge, which is, and it's understandable. I support this completely that there should be Pfizer. Right. And you're right, Pat. My prediction is, by the way, Pat, the UK are going to do boosters for definite in the autumn. It looks like a third shot to the vulnerable and the older people. And it will be an RNA vaccine. That's looking really likely now, given this fantastic data, you know. In other words, if you have two shots of AstraZeneca and you get a third shot, it might be even weaker definitely use RNA for your third shot so I, I think it's going to become routine that Pfizer will be used as a booster and, and yet we're behind the curve given that it's coming we should introduce it now shouldn't we you know I don't see why you should delay this in any way Now there's another interesting study you know the way um, they were talking about uh, shortening the gap between the two AstraZeneca jabs 16 weeks 12 weeks 16 weeks 8 weeks whatever it might be and then there was talk of reducing it to, to perhaps 4 weeks 
But there's some information from the University of Oxford that if, for example, you get one jab and then six months later you get another jab of uh, AstraZeneca uh, or the Oxford vaccine, as it used to be called originally, that you get this boost right you back do. up to your peak immunity. It's almost like the first shot. If you give it too soon, the second shot, it doesn't work quite so well. Leave it for longer. It seems to work even better. Yeah, and again, that'll be known. The, the gaps can be good, Pat, because the immune system really sort of builds up memory over that time. And then when you give the next shot, then the memory's all there to respond strongly. You know, I think it's also important, though, for the booster shot more than anything else. In other words, if you take your two shots, even if there's a four-week gap between them, you can wait six months for the third shot. And it works really well, they're predicting now you see so that's more about giving the third shot than anything else really you can, you can afford to wait a good few months for the booster you see which is very good news because you can imagine we'll give boosters now November, December, January time and that's fine that gap is, is going to be optimal it looks like Now we saw the test events uh, the, the first one was in the Ivy Gardens uh, no one was actually uh, tested with antigen testing or anything there were very few people there they were all in the little bubbles we learned absolutely nothing from a scientific point of view. Uh, they are running one in IMA uh, this coming weekend, I think, and there will be testing in advance of uh, the audience arriving for that. But in the UK, of course, they've, been, they've adopted a very scientific approach to event running uh, as pilots. What have they learned? Yeah, I've got sight of a really good report, but it's, it's called the Events Research Programme in the UK. This is a world-leading attempt to see if you can open up uh, again. It's a bit like the, the hospitality issue, in a sense, because the question is can you mitigate against spread by having a big sporting event or an indoor gig or a concert and it's amazing Pat the amount of science that's gone into this it's a hugely important report it's just, it's just about to be issued uh, they looked at between the 17th of April and the 15th of May they ran nine pilot schemes now this is lots of different things it was sporting events it was a nightclub it was uh, you know indoor events of various kinds lots of different settings some were seated some were standing they looked at antigen testing ventilation crowd behaviour CO2 levels. They measured if the air was getting stagnant, you know, crowd density. I mean, it's incredible. They also looked at before and after the event, because obviously people might be travelling to it or they might be in bars, say, or restaurants before and after. And it's a really compelling report about how to mitigate against the risk of spread in a crowd, basically, indoors, you know. And again, it's, it's what we knew already, but, but the evidence is really strong. Ventilation was key. It was One thing that was good, Pat, was most of these pilot events had very good ventilation. They knew already that ventilation was important and that was in place, you know. And then testing Mm-hmm. was a key part of this. <clears throat> one funny one was that they were suggesting that you could take an antigen test and if it was positive, your ticket got cancelled. You couldn't go to the venue. You know, in other words, it was yeah. your, your ticket was on your phone, if you know what I mean. And yeah. there was an automatic link to the test to say that ticket is sadly cancelled for that person. It's a shame. They, they get their money back, of course. That was very clever, wasn't it? In other words, you'd have an automatic way then to, to keep people safe, I suppose. So it was a really elaborate test study. And what was great was that they've now strong guidelines will emerge from this as to how to have a safe event indoors, which is what we want, you know. Um, one of the things they found is that there are certain areas which are high risk and that's where people are kind of forced together or, you know, not forced, but they congregate together at entry and exit points uh, on concourses where the restaurants are and all that kind of thing. And they you know, identified those as um, places to watch. They did, yeah. And, and people did get infected, remember. So it, was, it was a good study because people did get infected and they could notice where the risk was. Uh, half time at a sporting event is a risk because people mix and mingle more to get a drink or whatever it might be and they'll control that. And as you say, but any gathering on concourses was, was an issue as well. So they, they kind of know now what guidelines to give, basically, to make mm-hmm. sure these events are safe. 
So uh, in the future, for example, instead of having the bar, uh, all the bars, there are multiple bars, say, in Old Trafford and other football stadiums, you might go to the American football style where there's a guy with a big tray, like we used to have in the cinemas years ago and still do, uh, with the ice creams and the popcorn and all the rest of it. Uh, So the food might and drinks might come to you rather than you go and mix with hundreds of other people on the concourse and and risk infection. Yeah, exactly. uh, Who who knows? Now, they've also been looking at um, what ordinary people might do in their private lives, birthday parties. Yeah, this is an amazing story. There was a study in the US, 2.9 million households in the US were, were, were looked at and they tried to find out if there was a birthday, in the, how they got access to this, I don't know, but if there was a birthday in the household, was there an increased risk of spread of the virus? And lo and behold, there was, Pat, amazingly. So there was 8.6 more diagnoses per 10,000 people if there was a birthday in that household, right? And there was a 5.8 per, per 10,000 increase if it was a child had a birthday it was 5.8 for an adult now of course what they're saying is a birthday probably means a party they didn't measure that by the way they just were looking at the records of, of who had a birthday and sure enough if a birthday was happening there was an increased risk of, of uh, cases in, in that in, the, in that 2.9 million households it's incredible fact, isn't it so again I guess it's a simple enough thing to say be careful having a birthday party because if, again if there's people they also looked at things like rainfall amazingly they didn't find a correlation with rainfall because that might mean people moving indoors for instance uh, they also looked at if it was a milestone birthday let's say you were 40, 50, 60 that didn't seem to increase particularly but certainly if there was a birthday in the household that increased the chance of, 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 of transmission hmm. And it didn't seem to reflect political bias either, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah, that, that variable. <laughs> it didn't seem to affect yeah, anything. Yeah. Now, um, some of uh, the questions coming in, Luke, uh, has NIAC agreed to allow people being vaccinated to mix them? We've already talked about that, but you might comment again. I got Astra first and I'm holding out for Pfizer second. I'm 61. I have a very low white cell count uh, and I'm just after surgery. It's, it's, it's difficult, but there's no doubt the second shot of Astra will protect you, remember. this 90% protective against hospitalisation with the new var- the Delta, remember. That's a great bit of protection. So I think if I was offered AstraZeneca as a second shot, I'd take it. To be honest, it's the safer thing to do. And then you're going to get a booster in the autumn anyway, if you're in that age category. That'll be an RNA vaccine, I predict. But it is difficult. I mean, people are saying, look, keep declining the invite and then you might get Pfizer. That's why they need to issue a very clear yeah, sort of um, uh, guideline on this one. And let's hope it is you can take any vaccine you want. If you're over 60, that's what we're all looking for. Yeah. Um, we'll be talking about the, the, the question of the number of times you can turn down your invitation to get vaccinated uh, with the minister later on. You know, the suggestion of three strikes and you're out. You know, you just yeah. have to wait till um, you, you book an appointment with your own GP at your own expense if you turn it down too many times. Anyway, we'll talk about that later on. Um Luke is way more trusting of the hospitality's understanding on adequate ventilation. I've seen the outdoor pods and most have three covered sides. So the the, the other side, the fourth side, has got to be open uh, to create a current in the air. That's from Mary. Um, Yeah, no, it is an issue. I mean, the the question, that's for the hospitality sector. Can can they implement the mitigation measures or not, I suppose? And I guess they must have felt there's a risk that it won't be optimal. And that was fed into the data as well. But but I'm sure the hospitality sector will say, no, we can do it. And and, and there must be some way of measuring it, I guess. But I do understand there are places that will breach it. And that, that has to be part of the concerns, I suppose. 
Uh, could Luke please discuss how people with vaccinations who are medically vulnerable may be affected by the reported Delta variant in terms of severity of infection? That's from Amelda in Westmead. That's, that's good question, Amelda. Yeah, look, in the, to the UK, as we know now, has a huge amount of Delta and they've got a massive level of vaccination. They're trying to find out more about that just to see if it makes disease worse in certain categories. We just don't know yet. At the moment, it doesn't look as if it does. It doesn't look as if it's any more dangerous, shall we say. The risk is the dose, though, because the higher the dose of virus you take in, the worse the disease is going to be anyway. You know, it's obvious in a sense. So, so it's, But it's a difficult one to answer for the moment, that one. Yeah, uh, we were talking to someone in the UK yesterday who had uh, one shot of AstraZeneca, ended up catching the Delta variant. Very sick, you know, really, really miserable, but not hospitalised, but still very sick. Not to be trifled with was uh, the message that he gave us. Uh, This one, I'm a 40-year-old male with a compromised immune system. I've had my first AstraZeneca vaccine 23rd of March, 14 weeks ago. Ended up in hospital with severe side effects. I was told by the consultant not to take the second dose. Can I take a different vaccine as my second dose, given the effect on my system of uh, the first uh, dose of AstraZeneca? If not, when can I start a new round of vaccines, i.e. when does the first leave my body? That's difficult, very difficult to answer, to be honest. There wouldn't be enough experience of, of that kind of thing necessarily. You know, all I can say is get, get the medic, follow the medical advice. If anybody's any worries along those lines, talk to your GP, because they'll know more about your record and so on, or your consultant, you know, that's all I can say there, really. I'd imagine um, the second dose should be okay in that situation. It could have been bad luck. You see, there's a huge variation, again, in how people respond, remember. You might respond one way mm. the first time, a different way the next time. So there's a few, there's a few unknowns there, sadly. Uh, heading to uh, County Clare seaside destination yesterday, past a pub busy offering outdoor dining in a packed, cheap, enclosed clear plastic marquee with a door flap on one face only. If you were sitting at the dead end of that, you're effectively inside and this is going on all over the yeah, place, that's the issue. John. Yeah, that, that's, an that's, un- the that's, issue. An, that's an unsafe environment. I mean, you've got to keep reminding, look, you've got to have good ventilation. It's really important because otherwise stagnant air is the worst place for this virus yeah, to spread. And, and again, personal responsibility. You pull into that place and don't you go have in. a look at it, <laughs> you don't go in, you move on to the next one. I'm going to the M event on Saturday. There's antigen testing, but I don't really know why, as we had to buy tickets for pods of six and we're all being herded into bullpens with the people in our pods. So it's outdoors, but there's no mixing with others, rendering the whole exercise pointless. <laughs> so you're with the people that you would be with yeah, anyway. Yeah. They're in your pod and you don't meet anyone else. So what's the point? What's the point? Yeah, I suppose that's not that's not a bad point to make either. But I mean, again, these things are never simple. Are they? So but certainly, as we as you and I have discussed at length, antigen test, you're positive, you just stay home. That's the message, you know, and then you won't spread it wherever it might be. Uh, this is a uh, creed de care from Tony. As a musician who hasn't worked since March 2020, if they're allowing vaccinated people to work indoors for bars and dining, why can't they allow vaccinated musicians in to play? There are more people in Ivy Gardens at lunchtime sitting closer together than there were at the debacle of a concert. Musicians have been thrown under the bus. Yeah. Um, that's, that's under the, the other bus. Yeah. That's yeah, from exactly. uh, Tony. I mean, one fact that's fun is in the UK, that, that um, uh, sector, the event sector, is 11.5 billion uh, gross value out of the economy. In other words, that, 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 remember, a 60% drop in all those activities had a massive economic hit on people as well. That's why the UK want to bring it back because they know it's extremely important for people's livelihoods to have indoor events, you see. So again, that, that musician is, was caught up in this, in a sense. 
Um, a couple very quick ones. Can you ask Luke if it's safe for breastfeeding woman to take the jab? Also, safe for future childbearing woman? It is, yeah. The guidelines are clear there. That's all fine. You can be vaccinated. Again, any word he's there, look at the HSE website. It's very good on pregnancy and so on and recommends vaccination. So there's no issues there. And the final one, again, it's a personal choice, I suppose. Can you ask Luke, if he was fully vaccinated and he had two young children, would he be concerned about travelling abroad for a foreign holiday after July the 19th? That's a question from Sean. I wouldn't, no. In fact, that'd be fine if you're fully vaccinated. You can travel abroad, as we know. And then children, remember. I mean, the the big thing, all the evidence tells us this is a benign disease in children. So again, that would be a risk worth taking, I think. Yeah, but, uh, you know, the question is then when you bring the kids home, you're okay, you haven't caught it because you're fully vaccinated. Uh, The thing would be to try and check the children yeah, with antigen yeah. testing or whatever to make sure they haven't brought sure it home, brought it home. Yeah, yeah, that's and a good go point. Meet, meet granny or whatever Alright Luke, as I mentioned we will be talking to the Minister for Health uh, later on in the programme and clarifying some of these matters but for the moment uh, Luke O'Neill, Professor of Biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin, uh, thank you very much for uh, joining us 